Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. We're in Advent, Advent uh, uh, 2023, and Mark 13 says this of Advent, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Advent's a looking for and a looking towards Jesus. The Advent season, they were looking toward Jesus. And the four themes of Advent, and somewhere our Advent candles are in our move somewhere, so they're not out, but we'll try to have them out for next week. But the first candle is hope. The second candle is one of peace. The, the third Sunday is joy. And the fourth one is love. And, and the Advent towards Jesus coming and experiencing all of these emotions and what he brings, that is Advent. That's what the time is. It's the creator of heaven and earth entering into the story. See, because the reality is this. You and I are in a story. We're writing stories. God is writing stories. And, and, and Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, in their infinite wisdom, decided for him to come down, Jesus, and enter the story that we're walking in so that you and I would have life. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty incredible. Advent is the creator of heaven and earth entering the story, our story. So now let's shift back into the, that was just my opening. Can you imagine how long we're going on the the rest of it? Okay, we're in Ephesians. Last week in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, we talked about, or Paul talked about God's grace and uh, his revelation and the power of, of, of his Holy Spirit. And, and uh, this week we're in, in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And would you join me? If you have your Bibles, you can look at them. Otherwise, you can just look up here and it says this in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this Advent season. Lord, leading to your son Jesus' birth where Jesus entered this story and it changed our lives forever. God, I thank you, Lord. I pray that we would, as a church, as a people, that your church would truly worship during this season. God, that we wouldn't be consumed by uh, all the stuff, but that we'd be consumed by your Holy Spirit. God, speak to us this morning. Let your word be alive in our ears and our hearts and our souls. God, I pray that you would speak and you just move me aside. God, that we truly would have ears to hear and eyes to see that we would leave this place and 
and be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul, again, starts off this scripture like he did before uh, two weeks ago in the last couple of weeks. Paul starts Ephesians 4, 14. He says this, for this reason. And what do we say? When, whenever he says for this reason, you've got to find out what that reason is. You've got to know what that reason he's saying. For this reason, he's about to do something. For this reason, what he was talking about, he's getting ready to do something really important. And what, for what reason is Paul uh, bowing? I don't know. I skipped that, huh? Did I just skip through a whole bunch of, I'm so sorry. Um, for what reason, when we look at what Paul says, for the reason that the scripture says that he bowed his knees, and, and the question is, for what reason is Paul bowing? Paul is, is pointing back to the experience in verse 1 through 13. So what we talked about a couple weeks ago, Paul says, for this, I, I, am, I am bowing down. What is he bowing down for? Because he experienced God's grace, his revelation, and his power. What reason is Paul bowing for? Because God did something in his life. When Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, he's making a statement about himself and the one he's bowing to, Jesus. He's making a proclamation. And, and when you go, okay, what's Paul talking about? Why does it matter to me? Because you and I, as Christians, as believers in Christ Jesus, make proclamations on a regular basis. You and I make statements in how we act, how we treat others, what we say, what we do day in and day out is a proclamation of us, not only a proclamation of who we are, but it's a proclamation of Jesus, some good, some bad. This side is not bad and this side is not good, so just so you know, I'm not, you know, you guys are fine. I can go some good, some bad here too, and there's some bad in here too, so everywhere I'm talking about this morning. Your life is a proclamation. See, we don't like to think that way. You, you and I don't like to think of the fact that there are people watching us. Especially when you say, or, or it slips out, or someone's heard the rumor that you're a Christian. They're like, let's see if this Chris Blue is really who she says she is. Now, I, I'm not saying I was the pinnacle of, of Christianity, but, but I remember watching her when, when I, I first heard God speak to me and say, that's going to be your wife. That's a whole other crazy story. We won't get into it. But I remember, and, and, and part of my heart was, I'm just going to watch her. And, and the watching was to see if what she said matched up who she was. And it has beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you. There's, there's this connectiveness. And Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. And, and the statement is not just about Jesus, it's about him also. What Paul's bowing before the Father says of the Father is this, that there's this great respect that he has for God. By Paul bowing his knees to the Father, he is submitting his life to God the Father. By, by bowing on his knees to Jesus, he's acknowledging the ultimate authority in this life. By, by bowing on his knees, he's acknowledging God's superiority, his graciousness, his, his omniscience, his omnipotence, all that he is. And the problem with me and the church in general many times is that we don't get on our knees enough and acknowledge who God really is. You know why? Because we look in the mirror. 
And you know what happens when you look in the mirror? We're bowing to ourselves. I'm the man, I can make it happen. I'm the woman, I can make it happen. See, this posture that Paul is talking about is one that, 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 that acknowledges God and worships God for who he is and not me for who I think I am. When you have a real encounter with the king of kings, you bow to a knee. When, if if, if a, the king or the uh, queen, I guess, of, oh, it's a king now, the queen just died, of England, if you came before them, you would, you would bow before them. Why? There's a reverence that goes with that. What Paul's bow before the father says about Paul is this, that Paul walked in this great humility, that he had a reverence. Not only did he walk in great humility and reverence, but the reality is this, Paul's life was completely submitted to Jesus and the Father. See, that, that acknowledgement that you and I need to walk in, that I need to walk in on a regular basis is I'm going to get on my knees and say, this is humbling. I don't want to do this before any of you. I, I don't, I don't want to get on my knees because there's so much pride in my life, I feel like a fool. See, but what it says when I obey, when I do it, if I do this, is look, I am not the, the owner and the director of my life. Someone else is. See, for many of you, for many of us, we need to sit here longer than we need to stand here. Because the longer that you stand here, the more you think these two feet underneath you are the things that are keeping you going. And I regularly need to posture myself. It doesn't necessarily mean that I get to my knees, but let me tell you something. Getting here physically and being on your knees does something to your psyche. I mean, I can, I can mentally assent to submitting to God, to standing up or driving my car, doing whatever I ever do. And we go, oh, I'm submitted to you, God, your Lord of Lord, Jesus of Jesus. But, but let me tell you, when, when you do this, you can't help but just kind of go, oh, this is not comfortable. See, but what, what happens is this, and what we see with Paul, and he's in prison, and he's, he's been beaten, and he's been, you know, he's gone through literal hell. What we see is this, that the circumstances have taken him to a place that is really uncomfortable so that he might walk in the fullness and be completely comfortable in who he is in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? See, because you and I aren't good at this, and how much, what God does is, okay, I love you too much to leave you and your stuff. So I'm going to kind of, I'm going to allow some things in your life. And here's what invariably what's going to happen. You're going to end up here because you got nowhere else to go. That isn't God being sadistic. That's God being gracious and holy. He drives me to my knees and put me in a position where I really understand who I am. See, because I, I have a false sense of who I am. I know none of you guys deal with that. <laughs> That was sarcasm. Thank you for the few that did laugh. <laughs> Paul understood who he was. That doesn't mean Paul always understood who he was. It doesn't mean Paul had everything together and we don't. It means that when we look at these scriptures and we see the consistency of what he said and what he did, his life matched up pretty well. And when he bowed, he's saying this, I humbly stand before you, my maker. I humbly I give you reverence for who you are because you deserve my worship, God. I, I, I'm submitting all that I am to you 
because you deserve all that I am. That's what Paul's saying. he's, He's acknowledging who Jesus is, who the Father is, and he's acknowledging who he is. Created, finite being. Why does Paul bow? I mean, we just talked about all that, but, but how do we know? The answer is in verse 19, and it says this. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Why is Paul bowing? Because of the love of Christ. He, he has this encounter with the Father. Simply put, he experienced the love of Jesus. And it changed him forever. It changed him forever. This theme continues in this book of Ephesians. We see it time and time again. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. It takes us back two weeks ago. What did we read two weeks ago? We read this, that Paul experienced God's grace. What are we reading today, two weeks later? That Paul experienced the love of God. That, that all these things he is tasting, he's smelling, he's heard, he's, he's touched, he's, he's felt, he's, all of these emotions and the love and the grace is experienced. We said this last week or the week before, that, that grace and, and the love of God was never meant to just be received from some preacher that just sits up here and reads a book. If it stops right there, then you really haven't experienced God. In the same way the love of, uh, of God for Paul, he experienced it. In verse 19, he says, this love, this love of Christ, it surpasses all. He's like, you can't even fathom the love of God. You can't even understand the love of God. But see, the, the connectiveness here is to the submission to God. And some of you go, well, I don't know what Paul's really talking about. I've never really experienced this great love that, that you're talking about. And, and, and part of the problem, and if that is you, if you're thinking that in your mind, here's what I would say to you. Get to your knees. Because it's here that you start to experience the love of God. Why? Because it's here that you really understand who you are. Why? Because it's here when you understand who you are, you understand who God is. And and when you're in a position like this, and you're not upright, just taking charge, you start to ponder the fact that I can't do much from here. That the only one who can save me from here is him. Changes your world. I don't do it enough. I'll just be real. I'm preaching to the choir. I, I, I would love to sit up here and go, I'm on my knees every day. Not. But I want to be. Hello? <laughs> Jesus, are you calling? <laughs> You know, experience, experience. I keep talking about experience and experiencing and experience and experience and, and, and experiencing versus hearing, you know, that, that the gospel and, and grace and love is meant to be experienced and not just heard. And you go, oh, enough of the experience thing. But I'm telling you, unless you understand this, you're going to have this religious surface, this, this pharisaical relationship with God. Hearing and experiencing are two different things. They're meant to walk together, parallel. I hear the word of God. I'm delivered by the Holy Spirit. And I experience his love and grace by what he did on the cross or through what he did on the cross. It's, 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 it's the natural and the spiritual. We talk about it all the time. The natural and the spiritual run parallel to one another. That's the way God meant it to be. 
What does that mean? There are spiritual principles that parallel the natural life, and the two are, are reflective of one another, and, and you see it. Let me give you an example. So when we talk about hearing and experiences, in 27 years of marriage, we've had times where you say things like, I've heard that before. It's usually her telling me. <laughs> I've heard that before. You know what that means? There's a disconnect between what you say and what I'm experiencing, the love that you say you have for me. In the natural, if I lived my life in such a way where I told her I loved her, but I, I didn't come home at night, or I came home three of the, of the seven nights out of the week, I didn't acknowledge her, I didn't sleep in the same room with her, I made her the one that cooked, cleaned, and did everything. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. That one's all right. We can keep that one. In. I'm kidding. If I, if I, everything, there's this disc. If I told her I loved her and that was life, do I really love her? No, it's, it's the experiences that I have with her. The experiences that she has with me that, that lays this foundation of love. God never meant it to be one-dimensional. A relationship in the natural is never meant to be one-dimensional. It's not just about what I say. In the spiritual, God never meant the relationship that we have with him to be one-dimensional. In no way, shape, or form did he meant mean it to be a Sunday morning preach twice a month. He never meant it to be like that. He meant it to be a daily walk, a daily encounter, a daily humility, a daily recognizing who the Lord and Savior is, and it's not you. And when I do that, life is different. I don't do, you think about the foolishness of that. I don't do it every day. I should. I try. Paul says, and to know the love of Christ, to know, so we're saying experience this, to know. When Paul says to know, he's building this case that the love of God is experiential, just like his grace. It's critical to understand this word. The word know in the Greek is gnosko. It's gnosko. And, and it implies a very vivid understanding, literally a relationship between what is known and the knower. What is known and the knower. It, it defines this relationship. Me, the known, you, the known, and the knower, the father. It's the connectiveness. The know is the connectiveness of the relationship. In my marriage, the know, the gnosko, is the connectiveness of my relationship. Gnosko literally means an experiential knowledge. It's not a knowledge that I've read of. I know Michael Jordan. I've used this example before. Did you guys know I know Michael Jordan? I bet you guys didn't know that. Me and Michael, like this. You want, you know, want to know? Because I've read all about him. I know Michael Jordan. I've read all about this man. He's the greatest basketball player that ever lived. Make sure you tell Heidi that, okay? She thinks this guy, Jimmy James, or what's his name? Larry, Larry's Braun James something. She thinks this guy, some new guy in L.A. is the guy, but Michael Jordan's the man. And, 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 and I know Michael Jordan because I've read all about him. I've seen his documentary. I've, you know, I've, I've seen it. The word gnosko means that I've literally broken bread with him. I don't gnosko Michael Jordan. 
It means that I've literally spent time with them, that we've had these interactions, these conversations, and, and we've had breakfast, and we, we've laughed, and we've, we've cried, and we've, we've, we've you know, fought, and all, all of those emotions, everything that comes with a relationship. And, and, and very clearly, Paul uses this word. It wasn't by chance, because there are several uses of the word to know in the Greek, but he uses this one, gnosko. And, and, and let me show you why it's so important. Why it's so important. Matthew 7. We've all read the scripture. Scripture 7, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. What's going on here? This, yeah. Why is this so important? The first thing he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will to the kingdom of heaven. That scares the hell out of me. Do you know what that does? That pushes me here. Oh God, don't let me be a fool. The second thing he says is, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, right before that in verse 15, he says, you'll know them as Christians by their fruit. You, you'll see it in their life, what they're producing. We talk about fruit all the time. The third thing he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many works in your name? And then he says this. And this is the, one of the scariest verses in, in the Bible. He says, and then I will declare to them, whoever them is, I never gnoscoed you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I, I, I can't imagine standing before God and him going, I, I don't really know you. I, 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 I do what I do. Because I don't want anybody to stand before God and go, I didn't really know you. I, I, don't, want, I don't want anybody to have said, I, I didn't experience the Savior. I never experienced his grace. I never experienced the love of God. I heard of him. Here we go, my favorite line. I went to church twice a week, a month. A week, that would be unbelievable. <laughs> Kidding. I don't even go, I won't even want to go twice a week. It, it, it this, he says, depart from me. I never broke bread with you. Oh, oh, I've broken bread. I took communion. I never broke. I never had the intimacy with you that comes through a relationship. I never experienced you. In other words, <laughs> I never experienced life with you. I, 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 it scares me that there's a whole group of people that have this surface, pharisaical, religious relationship with God that haven't experienced His love, that haven't truly experienced His grace. What Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 and 3 is that, that he has experienced God's grace and love. And it changed him. It changed him. 
uh, he, he's not only heard of the grace and love of God, but he's, as I said, tasted, smelled, ex- he's just touched, he's seen. Every sense has been heightened by who this Jesus is. Every sense has been awakened to the, the grace of God. Every sense has been stirred by the love of God. In the same way, in the natural, that she has done for me in my life. When I met her, all the senses were, were stirred up. Ah, don't go there, you guys. You guys are crazy. That too. But all the senses were stirred, heightened in my relationship with my When I experienced my baby being born, the, the senses were, the experience, when they drove me nuts, my senses were going crazy and I experienced all kinds of things. Experienced, I smelled, I touched, especially the babies. You smelled, you touched, you seen, all of that. Paul experienced, what, what he's saying here in Ephesians is, as I've experienced the love of God, guys, it's unbelievable. In order to really appreciate Paul's story, though, you, you have to remember who Paul was. You, you know the story. He hated Christians. He hated the church. Paul persecuted Christians. He authorized the arrest of Christians. He was going out trying to find the Christians around him. Zealously opposed Christianity. Approved the stoning death of Stephen. Standing right there. Just, uh, that's good, let's kill the Christian. This is the same, this is Saul at the time, that is now Paul writing the book of Ephesians, talking about the love of God. Dear Lord, have you ever thought you're not worthy? You are through the blood of Jesus. Have you ever thought, there's no way this God could, could accept me. He doesn't know what I did, fill in the blank. Or they don't know what I did. He knows what I did. And, and, and I look at this, and, and this book is, is, is filled with people who are complete idiots, just like you and me. David. I mean, poor David. His whole life left just bare for thousands of years for us to look at and go, what an idiot. He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He's a liar. He's a cheat. And what does God say of him? He's a man after God's own heart. Are you kidding me? There's hope. There's hope for us. There's hope for us. Paul was this this crazy, want-to-kill Christian guy. Then Paul experiences God's grace through the son, his son Jesus. He felt the love of God through the cross. And Paul encountered the risen Savior. Had a conversion on the road to Damascus. A light knocks him off the horse. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Has this encounter with Jesus. And it changes his heart and changes his purpose and takes his purpose to what God had called him to be and who God had created him to be. And he embraces God's grace and he embraces the love of God and he endures. Look, the only way you go through what Paul went through, being being shipwrecked and being beaten and, and, and everything that he had been through, the only way you can get through those hardships and that that persecution is to understand and experience the love and grace of God. Only way. Paul did. And then in 14 he says it. For this reason he says, I bow my knee before the Father in whom every family under heaven and earth is named. For what reason does he do it? For Jesus. The advent of Jesus. 
Matthew 2, 10 through 11, why we're singing Christmas songs and, and folks. When, he saw the star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child and Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They fell down. They encountered the baby Jesus and they fell down and worshipped. Paul encountered Jesus and he worshipped. Advent season, what am I asking for us as a church? What am I asking of myself? Is that you would enter the story. That you would enter this story. Not be a bystander. Don't let the story just pass you by because you got so many things going on and trees you have to, 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 to put up, which... Yeah, and, and you've got, you know, parties you got to go to and things you got to buy and all this stuff. Get, enter into the story of Jesus, which is being his hands and feet and loving others well. Jesus entered the story so that you and I can enter the story now. Too many Christians don't want to enter the story because they think it's, it's, it's too much or they're too selfish. Actually, it's this reason here. They refuse to go to their knees. I'm asking that we would enter the story this Christmas. Nearly every time or every character that we see at, at Jesus' birth responded in the same way. They bowed and they worshiped. They bowed and they worshiped. You want to enter the story? Here's how we enter the story. We start on our knees and we worship. You want to enter the story this Christmas season? Or do you want to get caught up in all this stuff? I'm asking you, I'm asking me to enter the story. And how we do that is through bowing down and recognizing who he is and understanding who we are. And worshiping the Savior. My question to us this morning is this. Are you bowing and worshiping before consumerism? Christian parties, alcohol. Look, look, let's touch that one real quick. Are you medicating to get through the holidays? Because some of us are. You just, I got to get through this thing. Give me another one. Or whatever it is. Are, are, you, are you bowing and worshiping at the foot of comparison? I got to have the right gifts and the right outfit and the right tree and the right family and the right, all that crap. Or are you bowing and worshiping before Jesus? The answer is to enter the story. And, and I, I enter, the beauty of, of entering the story is I don't have to wait for an on-ramp. I can enter today. I can start through communion. I can enter today. I can start by, by just getting on my knees mentally and physically and going, Oh God, have mercy, forgive me. And then and, and each day, engaging in this word, prayer and conversation with Jesus. Put on the worship music and, 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 and Christmas music during this time. Each and every day enter into that relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. Enter into his presence that you might experience his grace to get through this time because God knows I need the grace to get through this time. Enter in the story. And Paul finishes up Ephesians 3 with this declaration of God's goodness. Again, let me reiterate chained in prison, has been through hell. And this is what he says. L let me clarify. If, if I'm chained in prison, 
and, and gone through everything, Paul, I, I, I pray to God that, that, would be my, that would, this would be my prayer. Verse 21, to him be the glory in church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Dear Jesus, when you enter in the story and, and, and you humbly bow before the King of Kings, these are the words that come out of your mouth in the midst of crazy. What are you going through this season? I don't know. We're all going through something. Maybe you're not going through anything. Regardless of whether you're going through something or you're not going through something, bow before the King of Kings. Acknowledge who He is and acknowledge who you are. Enter into the story this season. Enter into the story. Worship fully. The identity of Christmas is this book, not the next present. Lead your families during this season. Lead your families well during this season. And be generous to all. That's how you enter the story. I had six couple practical ways if you want. I was just thinking, write a thank you. Write out your story. Tell your story. Share your story. Invite someone in to dinner during this season. Pray for others. Forgive. Just some practical ways. Some practical ways to worship during the season and enter in. This morning I'm asking you to enter into this season, to enter into the story. And as Paul says, it starts with bowing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as you do that, you're making a proclamation of who you are and you're making a proclamation of who He is. That's a relationship. And that's where you experience grace. That's where you experience the love of God. That's where God meets us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. God, for your word and Apostle Paul. And God, I, I just think of all that he went through. And Lord, for his words to be what they are is just miraculous. I know it's through the power of your Holy Spirit because he submitted himself to you. We see, Father God, that he bowed before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, I thank you. Lord, as we get ready to receive communion, Father God, and, 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 and align our hearts with yours, Father God, that this would be a time that we, we Lord, would get on our knees before you and just hand it to you that we would submit our lives to you. God, in the midst of the chaos, we just go, okay, I, I can't, I can't control this chaos. I can't do it anymore. God, it's yours. God, we'd experience your grace and we'd experience your love. We'd experience your mercy. God, that we would taste it. We'd feel it. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. Bible said on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that's been broken for you. And he said this, he said, eat this in remembrance of me. He, he said, when you come together as a family, as we are right now, Jesus, you said that we should eat and take of the body and the blood, the wine and the bread in remembrance of you. So God, we choose today 
to remember you through your broken body. And we say thank you. And, and then he goes on and he says, this wine represents the covenant. Life comes through the blood and, and the wine represents my blood and, and the life that was given to you when I went to the cross. So God, as we receive the bread represents his broken body and we drink of the juice that represents his blood God that 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 we would submit ourselves to you that we might enter the story and be your hands and feet in this place called Orange County that's not easy to live in God that we would examine our hearts before we receive God thank you thank you that you sent your son some 2,000 years ago that I might have life. God, let that sit before us each and every day. Each and every day. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. We have communion stations to the left and right and then in the back corners also. So take a moment just Examine your heart, and as you come together, receive uh, communion.